Okay, so uh, again, welcome. Uh, I would like to open with a concise presentation of my main argument regarding what I call Israel's Jewish identity crisis. I will then move on to discuss in more detail the controversial nation-state bill, which passed into law earlier this summer. As uh, I hope to demonstrate the bill as a case history, or the law as a case history, with its uh, relevant background, its development over almost a decade before passing into law, the debate surrounding it, and the global controversy that it has instigated, all are uh, but an instant, instance I'm sorry, of Israel's Jewish identity crisis and its consequences. So what do I mean by Israel's Jewish identity crisis? Israel's Jewish identity crisis can be understood as a direct outcome of the Zionist unresolved claim to Jewish identity. The modernist shift spearheaded by Zionist ideology turned the focus away from the subjective, historical, and traditional matter of Judaism to the allegedly objective and predetermined matter of Jews. In this scheme, Jews are primarily identified by what they are, i.e. their alleged natural, common biological origin, blood, ethnos, or race, call it whatever you like, and not, or only remotely so, by what they believe and practice and by how they live their collective and individual lives, i.e. Judaism in its varied and even conflicting historical manifestations. Now, obviously, the abandoning of a historically established traditional Jewish way of understanding the world, <clears throat> including the very meaning of Jewishness, according to which it is Judaism that defines the Jews and not vice versa, this demands that Zionism adopt an alternative language by which to understand the world. Zionism had clearly found this language in the predominant European modernist spirit of its time. Doing so, it has adopted a comprehensive way of viewing and interpreting the world that nourishes on the European Enlightenment project and ultimately serves the political configuration of power that is beneficial to the sovereign, allegedly secular nation-state. This was especially apparent as political Zionism emerged as triumphant over other streams of Zionism. Viewed as an enlightened secularization and politicization of Jews, Judaism, and Jewish identity, this ideological foundation ultimately consolidated around the political nation-statist reading of Zionist ideology, according to which the foremost redemptive modern reincarnation of Judaism itself is to be the nation-state of Jews. Depicting two millennia of Jewish life outside of the framework of sovereignty as a pathology, this ideology insists that the nation-statist politicization of Jews would also amount to their normalization, a healing of the Jewish collective body. Critically, this healing would mean that Jews are no longer unique, but rather normal, like all other nations around the world. Among other things, this normalcy, quote-unquote, would mean, so the ideational doc uh, doctrine 
ideological doctrine has uh, determined that once this polity, that is the Jews state, comes into being, everything done in the framework of the state will be by natural, obvious political definition, Jewish. Moreover, it would make the state itself Jewish. To this day, Zionist ideologues and apologists repeatedly draw a manifestly deficient comparison to other European nation states, suggesting that Jew should be read exactly as exactly equivalent, conceptually, to French, Italian, German, and so forth. So, just as the nation state of the French, France, is French, by simply simply by, being, by virtue of being their state, <clears throat> so the nation-state of Jews, Israel, is Jewish by virtue of its being their state. The people's being Jews, i.e. their natural makeup, makes their state, ipso facto, Jewish. Now, this analogy is deficient, as I uh, said uh, earlier, primarily since it forces Judaism, Jews and Jewishness, into the straitjacket of a historically situated and politically embodied conceptual scheme, that of the modern, sovereign, allegedly secular European nation-state. However, Judaism, Jews, and Jewishness, so variedly understood throughout history, seem to refuse to fit easily, if ever, into the predominant nation-state discourse of the time. Looked at from different point of views, and guided by varying, sometimes conflicting interests, Judaism, Jews, and Jewishness can fit into various, sometimes conflicting concepts and terms. They can be seen as race, as religion, as nation, as culture, as civilization, as history, as ethnos, and so forth. And they fit nicely none of them. They're not exactly a race, not exactly a nation, not exactly a civilization. Judaism simply refuses to be read in terms that have developed in Christian modern Europe. In any event, the most immediate implication of this analogy, Jews and their state are just like the French and their state, a nation like all other nations, given the historical context of the establishment of the state of Israel, has been the logic produced by the reversal of the analogy. <coughs> in other words, Israel is Jewish, only insofar as it is a state of Jews. Where the population it rules over not be seen as Jewish, the Jews state will cease to exist as such. Furthermore, it is important to remember that unlike so-called the so-called precedents of other national European movements and other nation states, Zionism and Israel have not emerged organically, as it were, as the political self-determination of a newly defined, realized, or invented nation living on a shared territory. Rather, Israel's history is such that the nation-state, itself being the culmination of, of an ideological and political project, preceded the formation of the state's nation. In actuality, the state itself has played a most central role in bringing Jews from all over the world under its sovereignty and shaping this newly created collective as new national Jews. And just as crucially, the territory over which the state is sovereign has been historically settled by non-Jews. These foundational parameters have determined a historical course 
by which the state is bound by its own guiding logic to manufacture and maintain a Jewish majority, or to be precise, a majority of Jews in its population. This necessitates the ceaseless arithmetic of demography, where a necessary majority of Jews is continuously counted against a minority of non-Jewish Palestinian Arabs, rendering the latter an immediate threat to the very notion of the sovereignty of Jews. Yet, most crucially, and this I would argue is a key to understanding Israeli sociopolitics at large, both the Zionist ideological foundation and its political embodiment, the State of Israel, have failed to offer their own modern, enlightened, secular, natural, call it as you want, definition of Jewish identity. Instead, either as a stopgap or as a somewhat self-denying, almost Freudian, I would say, manifestation of adherence to a mythical, essentialist notion of Jewishness, the state, under the dominance of a socialist Zionist party, I must remind you, has chosen to rely on a rabbinical orthodox uh, group of gatekeepers for the foundational maintenance and upholding of the line separating Jews from non-Jews. The prevalent discourse that blames this reality on the orthodox minority's alleged extortion of the non-orthodox majority of Israeli Jews is indeed helpful <coughs> sorry <coughs> is helpful for this majority's upholding of an enlightened liberal democratic self-image. But it should not confuse us from seeing how important is the role of the rabbinical gatekeepers for the state's upholding of its most basic of premises, that it is primarily, if not exclusively, a Jew's state. These gatekeepers help maintain the most fundamental parameter of all that differentiates Jews from non-Jews in Israel, thus allowing the state to preserve the proper demographic balance between Jews and non-Jewish Palestinian Arabs. Now, note that this all has to do with the notion of uh, Medinata Yehudim in Hebrew, the Jews' state, and only derivatively with Medina Yehudit, a Jewish state. Political Zionism has indeed focused from the very beginning on the establishment of the former, a Jews' state, leading critics such as Ahad Am to ask already at the end of the 19th century what exactly would make it a Jewish state. This, I would argue, has been a question that haunts Israel, further feeding its Jewish identity crisis. And thus, the Israeli Jewish identity crisis is further compounded by another basic failure of the Zionist prognosis. Contrary to the secularist prediction that the nation-state of Jews would become not only the center of Jewish life, but also the very embodiment of modern Jewishness, rendering non-Israeli Jewish identities pathologically incomplete, if not outright inauthentic, Jews throughout the world, and Israeli Jews in particular, have kept on insisting, as has been historically the case, that Jewish blood alone does not suffice, or to put it politically, that a positively meaningful Jewish identification demands more than just being subjected to the sovereignty of the state of Jews. This, of course, is further emphasized by the fact that there are also non-Jews who are subjects of this sovereignty. Contrary to the statist Zionist prognosis, Israeli political culture does not accept the designation of these people or their creations as Jewish simply by virtue of their being citizens of the Jews' state 
descendants of the land of Israel, and even speakers of Israeli Hebrew. Moreover, the political culture sponsored and propagated by the state itself, through its various institutions and branches, echoes this normative understanding of Jewishness, even if it does so clumsily, to say the least. This is manifested primarily in what has been historically labeled under the status quo, and what recent misguided secularist protestations decry as religionization, hadata, doesn't translate to English. Namely, the propagation by the state of an admittedly narrow and problematic sense of Jewish identity, mostly through the statist educational system and via the legal enforcement of certain decrees as a matter of civil, i.e. secular law, I must remind you, that colored Israeli public sphere in Jewish use. These governmental measures, while far from instilling one's identity with a positively meaningful knowledge of Jewish history, tradition, ethics, and identity, they have one fundamental trait. They are reserved for Jews alone. Hence, they reiterate the basic fault lines of Israeli nationhood. Recent attempts at bolstering Israeli Jewish identity and anchoring Israel's own Jewish identity and the fierce controversy they have instigated have only further highlighted <coughs> the depth of this identity crisis. Driven by the nation's statist concern over demographics, or more accurately the balance or the imbalance between Israeli Jews and non-Jewish Palestinian Arabs, these various, various legal measures and initiatives by the executive branch tend to use a shallow, politically manipulated notion of Jewish normativity in order to reassert the sovereignty of Jews and to deny Palestinian Arabs similar claims for national self-determination. And the nation-state bill is indeed a good case in point. So let us focus now on <coughs> the law itself. The past couple of decades have witnessed an apparent heightening of the political tension surrounding Israel's Jewish identity. This has culminated in a legislative initiative to formulate a constitutional anchoring of this identity through the passing of a basic law that would enshrine Israel's identity as the Jewish nation state. I would argue that the contentious nature of the debate on the bill, sometimes referred to in Israeli Hebrew as the Hokaleom, the nation law, or more elaborately, the basic law, Israel, the nation state of the Jewish people. This encapsulates a wider history, namely the largely failing attempt to tackle the meaning of Israel's Jewish identity beyond the concern for the demographic balance or imbalance between Jews and non-Jews. So a careful consideration of the bill will allow us a clear understanding of both the taken-for-granted infrastructure of meaning dominating Israeli or more accurately contemporary Zionist construction of the notion of Jewish politics and of what may be seen as uh, its somewhat surprising shortcomings. The bill which has cleared the final legislative hurdles in late, late July uh, this past summer Started off, started off almost a decade earlier as an extra legislative initiative. And it tended at first to embarrass the political leadership more than to appeal to it. It has since gradually become a cause celebre of mainstream Israeli politics. More importantly, 
It has put Israel's Jewish identity crisis into sharp relief. After more than 60 turbulent years of statehood, when the original bill was first drafted, Israelis were presented with the most politically fundamental question. What does the state Jewish identity amount to? What does it mean for Israel, for Israel to be a Jewish state? The debate over the bill has offered the Israeli political and public sphere a unique, rather unprecedented, clear view of the essential tensions at the very core of the Israeli polity. Specifically, as I have alluded to earlier, it highlighted, highlighted the tension between Zionism's rebellion against what it has viewed as Jewish religion and its, Zionism's, foundational claim to a Jewish history and identity that are, by the Zionist own account, saturated with the same religious elements. More critically, it has exposed the Zionist inability to construct a full-fledged, independent from religion, as it were, i.e., in, in its own terminology, a national and secular sense of Jewish identity. Such an ideological construction could, or even should, have been the source that would clearly identify Israel's values as a Jewish state, hence ultimately the Israeli meaning of Jewish politics. Instead, the bill directs <coughs> much of its, <coughs> I'm sorry, much of its uh, impetus toward a negative construction of Jewish Zionist nationhood by way of refuting Palestinian claims to nationhood and attempting to buttress the preference of Jews over non-Jews in Israel. So a quick review of the history of the law and its basic tenets is of necessity here, for it can at least uh, offer a context for understanding the diverging assessments of the law, which I shall uh, discuss uh, in a minute. The bill which was first submitted to the Israeli <coughs> parliament for consideration in August 2011 was originally initiated by an extra-parliamentary organization, the Institute for Zionist Strategies, a couple of years earlier. I will return to this original initiative later on because it offers some clear uh, uh, answers to the questions surrounding the legislative saga that later ensued. The bill was presented before the Israeli parliament by a uh, member of the Knesset, uh, Avi Dichter, a former head of the Israeli Internal Security Services, the Shin Bet, who was at the time a uh, member of the centrist, and it may be relevant to mention, to remind you here, uh, secular Zionist party, Kadima. Dichter's original initiative was endorsed by Ze'ev Elkin, and, uh, a member of the Knesset of the Likud party, and the two uh, garnered the supporting signature of some 40 other members of the Knesset. Critics were quick to denounce the bill. Members of Dichter's own party, including the head of Kadima at the time, at the time Tsipi Livni, poured skating criticism on the initiative and demanded that Dichter shelve the bill. Livni eventually imposed a party discipline against the bill, which resulted in the effective freezing of the original proposal in the 18th Knesset. Yet the initiative was far from dead. It has re-emerged as a cornerstone of certain coalition agreements upon which Israel's 33rd, 33rd ruling government was put into power in uh, March 2013. Livni, who, had, who held the position of uh, justice minister in this short-lived government, appointed a prominent law professor to counsel the government on the matter, an endeavor which culminated in a document negating the very need 
to constitutionally anchor the vision of the state. The original proposal has gone through several further formulations and reformulations offering various degrees of softening and hardening, as it was called in the Israeli press, of the more controversial elements of the original proposal. The bill re-emerged once again after the 2015 elections to the current Knesset, the 20th Knesset, becoming something of a competitive arena between the Likud and the religious Zionist party, now labeled Habayta Yehudi, it has been promoted by all central figures of the Israeli government, from the prime minister through his justice and education ministers, and down to the backbenchers of their parties, as a fundamental issue of unprecedented importance to the very vitality of contemporary Israeli nationhood. Yet the bill has encountered formidable obstacles. It was only after much deliberations and heated debates that the bill celebrated by the Israeli Prime Minister, I must note, as the affirmation of Herzl's vision some 122 years later when it finally passed, it was finally approved by the Knesset. Moreover, the, uh, the, the saga is clearly far from over. The bill is bound to be reviewed by the judiciary probably sooner than later. To understand the wider history and political meaning of the bill, we may first ask, as did practically all commentators, both those supporting the bill and, those, uh, and its opponents, what is the true purpose of the bill? Tellingly, the various answers and even explanation offered in the bill itself all point in one and the same time at two seemingly contradictory claims. First, it is claimed that the bill's main motivation is rather obvious, if not outright redundant, according to its critics since what it proclaims and seeks to enshrine as law is, by all measures, a foundational notion of the Zionist politics of the State of Israel. It is, in other words, a bill that simply states the obvious. Second, it is claimed that its passing into law after some 70 years of statehood, based on the premised Jewishness of Israel, marks a historical watershed, a redeeming ideational liberation of sorts, according to the bill's supporters, or an ominous breaking point in Israel's history as a democracy, according to its detractors. The basic law, in other words, is both obvious and radical. <clears throat> Judged by its contents alone, isolated, that is, from its political and historical context, and read naively, ignoring, in other words, some critical implicit ramifications of its tenets, the bill may indeed seem largely redundant, making the controversy surrounding it perplexing. It states what Israeli political culture has historically taken to be the political Zionist taken for granted, the very foundation of Jewish nationhood in the state of Israel itself. However, as many critics were quick to note, such a naive reading of the bill misses much of its meaning and its main political implications. Two issues emerge almost instantaneously as the flashpoints attracting most commentators' attention. First, the implied preference of Israel's Jewish identity over the state's liberal democratic principles when the two are understood to be in conflict. And second, the assertion of Jewish nationhood through the blunt negation of Palestinian nationhood. So by way of example, consider Haaretz's editorial this is an unsigned opinion piece that uh, allegedly proclaims the stance of the paper as a whole. 
probably the most important intellectual daily uh, publication in Israel, which had only the harshest of words for denouncing the bill, calling it, and I'm quoting here, an apartheid law, end of quote, that would label Israel, I quote, and I'm quoting, as a Jewish and racist state, end of quote. This is opposed, of course, to the common phrasing, a Jewish and democratic state. This stance, which is clearly representative of the liberal Zionist critique of the law, is so harsh that in the current atmosphere, many of the terms it uses would be simply considered out of bounds if used by critics of Israel outside of the state. In this liberal Zionist reading, then, the main, uh, <clears throat> the main motive behind the law is an attempt, which the critics deride as outright racist, to firmly establish the collective inferiority of Palestinian Arabs in the nation-state of Jews. In this reading, the internationally accepted rightful affirmation of the Jewish majority's determination of Israel's Jewish identity masks a more sinister, less acceptable practice of, quote, apartheid, in which the affirmation is built primarily on the negation of the national other. It must be noted that such critical readings of the bill, according to which it contradicts the foundational democratic principle of the Israeli polity, also came from the ranks of the Israeli right and from the Israeli president himself, uh, to say the least. Given the centrality of the alleged duality of Israel's self-image as Jewish and democratic, the law, in, exposing, uh, in its, its exposing of potential fundamental contradictions between the two organs of this duality, was also presented by critics as undermining the very Zionist vision, if not the Zionist project itself. Regardless of the critics' variations in tone, it would be hard for anyone who reads the bill to deny that it does indeed affirmatively assert a view in which the termination of Jewish nationhood is established by the negation of Palestinian nationhood. It reasserts the various expressions of Jewish Zionist nationhood, or to use the nationalist discourse itself, the rights of the Jewish nation, by explicitly determining the exclusivity of these rights to Jews. Palestinians, in the, bills, the bill clarifies, cannot claim similar rights. The centrality of the Palestinian challenge to uh, political Zionist nationhood is most clearly explicated in the aforementioned predecessor to the original 2011 legislative proposal, a white paper of sorts that was published by the Institute for Zionist Strategies in July 2009. This uh, draft proposal also presents itself as somewhat of a paradox a long overdue attempt at legislating what is otherwise obvious and should be taken for granted. The authors explain the newly formed need to legislate what used to be so obvious as to be considered natural, and I'm quoting them. In the past, the, stat the state's status as a national home for the Jewish people was never questioned. It was obvious to the public and to the authorities, including the judiciary, what it meant, practical manifestation of the Jewish status of the state can be seen in the very name of the state and from a multitude of laws which are obvious, muvanim me'elehem in Hebrew. Yet, so the authors narrate, something has gone terribly wrong in Israel's recent political history, and what used to be uh, taken for granted is no longer so. This new situation demands, they argue, a rewriting 
of the Zionist view that would also entail a more robust anchoring of the Zionist vision of Jewish politics. There is indeed an urgent sense of looming danger, of a looming danger, that is explicitly stated as the primary motivation behind the bill. This is also clearly evident in the actual bill presented to the Knesset by Dichter and Levin, where the necessity of the law is stated as the ultimate answer to this looming danger. The need for the law, they explain, I'm quoting, assumes greater validity as at a time when there are those who seek to abolish the right of the Jewish people to a national home in its land and the recognition of the state of Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people. End of quote. Now, Dichter's bill does not explicate who those who seek to abolish the political national rights of the Jews are. But it is not too hard to see that this threatening trend, which I must note the Institute for Zionist Strategies call backped, back, it, it calls hipuch yotzrot, should be translated as backpedaling, but could be translated as perversion. This, his hipuch yotzrot has primarily to do with the status of Israel's non-Jewish Palestinian Arabs, citizens of Israel. It is, if left unopposed, the authors warn, this trend would lead to the transformation of Israel into what is sometimes called a state of all of its citizens, as opposed to a state of Jews. A liberal democratic state where all citizens, regardless of their nationalist belonging and aspirations, enjoy equal status not only in the face of law, as is the case, but also in the allocation of material and symbolic resources, which is not the case. For the, for the draft bill authors, this amounts to an outright negation of the Zionist vision of the state itself. As Dichter himself has triumphantly put it, immediately after the Knesset finally approved the bill, the basic law is aimed, I'm quoting, at preventing even a shadow of a thought, not to mention an attempt to transform Israel into a state of all of its citizens. End of quote. In this framework of nationalist political philosophy, the Jewish character of the nation state must amount to an explicit preference of people who are Jews over those who are not, at least in collective terms. So how does the nation state bill reassert Israel's Jewish character? <clears throat> what does it offer by way of reaffirming the Jews' right to a national home? It is interesting to note that the bill's text, the law's text, is far from rendering this crucial matter clear. Some of the more controversial aspects of the bill have to do with what has been widely interpreted as the redrawing of the balance between Israel's Jewish character, which should, according to the bill's supporter, amount to a preference of Jews over non-Jews, and its commitment to democracy, which would delegitimize this preference. It aims to redraw or reassert the original Zionist framework where nationalist considerations overcome democratic universal principles of individual rights. rights. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Thus, while the purpose clauses of previously legislated basic laws assert a commitment to preserve Israel's character and values as a Jewish and democratic state, the nation state bill tends to establish a clear hierarchy. Jewish first, Democratic second, if at all, as the final version of the bill approved by the Knesset drops all references to Israel's democratic regime. Put simply, the law aims to give a legal, constitutional green light 
for the undemocratic practice, practice of uh, preference of one group over another, or to reverse the point of discriminating against one group in the name of the national rights of the other. Probably the most controversial clause of the bill in this regard, derived directly from this newly charted hierarchy, has to do with the segregation of Jews from non-Jews in Israel and the preference of the former over the latter. One paragraph in the original draft aims directly at legalizing a policy of segregation of Jews and Palestinian Arabs, namely the designation of certain settlements as reserved for Jews only and the preference of Jews in the allocation of land held by the state. This is a policy which had been practiced for years, but was ruled by the Supreme Court in 2000 to be illegal or unconstitutional. It's an interesting uh, fact to note that the court's reasoning for prohibiting the establishment of settlements for Jews only has been that this practice contradicts the value of equality to which the state is bound by its Jewish character, not by its democratic uh, rules. Under the headline of the right to, self, to, to heritage preservation, the clause states that the state may allow a community that includes followers of a single religion or members of a single nation to establish a, co- a separate communal settlement. Now, as aforementioned, this, uh, this clause, which explicitly aims to subvert the Supreme Court's ruling, has attracted much of the critics' ire. It was ultimately, after much heated debate, rephrased to state in the language of the bill approved by the Knesset as law under the title of Jewish settlement, what must be read as a Zionist taken for granted fact, and I'm quoting, the state sees the development of Jewish settlement a national value and shall act to encourage, promote, and strengthen it. In addition to territory, the same motivation is applied to language thus covering two basic tenets of uh, nationalist ideology um, that are only precariously tied to Judaism, land and language. A clause titled Language positively asserts that Hebrew is the official state language and that the Arabic language has a special status, leaving the the details of this uh, designation for future regulations. Put negatively, as was seen by all critics, this amounts to the national demotion or exclusion of Arabic, which used to be until July uh, a second official language of the State of Israel. The bill withdraws a legal hierarchy in which Hebrew alone is the official language. Now this undermining in practice of Arabic, the language I must note, not only of uh, the Palestinian Arab uh, minority in Israel, but also of a very large constituency of Jews from Arab-speaking countries, the language in which many of the foundational texts of the Jewish world were written in, this is part of a continual thread in which Arabic has come to be seen as the language of the enemy, hence as an, uh, as an object of uh, derision in itself. Other clauses in the law simply restate elements of already established laws in an obvious attempt to encourage a reading of this as having to do with Israel's Jewish identity. So, for example, a paragraph titled The State symbols determines once again, this has already been done by previous uh, legislations, uh, already established laws, that the national anthem, what are the national anthem, the flag and the emblem. Now, note that these symbols are indeed widely uh, identified or read as Jewish. 
They clearly nourish on traditional Jewish imageries and objects and they would surely be difficult for non-Jews to identify with. But they are a novel, a Zionist, Satist creation or creations. As Jewish objections to Zionism show, one can view himself and be viewed by others as wholly, authentically Jewish and still fail to revere these symbols or even actively desecrate them. In other words, these symbols do not represent something that would traditionally, at least, be viewed as essentially Jewish, but they are surely of a Zionist essence. The final version of the bill also states that uh, Jerusalem, unified and uh, whole, is the capital city of Israel, again repeating an already established law, which encouraged the current president of the U.S. to move the embassy back to Jerusalem. The bill also seeks to assert the Jews' national rights and values. Yet these assertions are either redundant, as they simply restate existing laws, or they're so va- vague I'm sorry, as to practically be meaningless. One paragraph, for example, originally titled Return, and later changed to the ingathering of exile, <clears throat> would fall under the first category. It states that uh, the state should be open to Jewish immigration and the ingathering of exiles. This is obviously already determined by the law of return, a foundational element of uh, Zionist Israeli nationalism. The law also states that uh, the state shall act uh, in the diaspora to strengthen the affinity, zika in Hebrew, between the state and members of the Jewish people. It's hard to see what this would amount to in in terms of uh, binding uh, uh, law. Other clauses in the bill tended at first to be more explicit in setting a more Jewish tone. This rely on tradition, heritage, history, and even uh, religion. A clause in the original draft thus determines that the state shall act to preserve the cultural and historical heritage, Moreshet, of the Jewish people and to cultivate, in, to cultivate it in Israel and the diaspora. And that in all educational institutions, serving the Jewish public in Israel, the history, heritage and tradition of the Jewish people shall be taught. But uh, these statements were apparently read to suggest an opening for religious coercion and had attracted a lot of criticism. They were cut off in practice from the Israeli context of the bill. However, the final version of the bill did not forego of these clauses altogether. Instead, it aims the the state's Judaizing impetus toward non-Israeli Jews, and thus the law passed by the Knesset omits the word in Israel and adds religion to be read, the state shall act to preserve the cultural, historical, and religious heritage of the Jewish people among diaspora Jews. This phrase and maneuver reflects a wider reality in which Jewish religion or tradition is seen in Israel as suspicious when referring to Israeli Jews and as uh, wholly legitimate when referring to non-Israeli Jews. So, in conclusion, The debate over the nation-state law is obviously far from over. The bill has cleared the last legislative hurdle to become law, but it is bound to remain controversial and debated. Moreover, as I suggested earlier, the, uh, the bill, or more precisely the discourse from which it nourishes and arises, capture, <coughs> capture the core essence of the Israeli polity. The debate over the bill is not a political argument per se. 
Rather, it may be described as an epistemological debate on how to approach the very constitutive notion of Israel's Jewish character. The unresolved nature of the basic law, the fact that it manages to be seen both in it at the same time as obvious or redundant as, and radical or dangerous, and its ultimate failure to positively instill this designation, i.e. a Jewish state, with explicitly positive meaning, all reflect some of the foundational tensions in the Zionist ideology and the Israeli nation-state. They all touch upon the Zionist taken-for-granted claim for Jewish nation-statehood, that is, the reading of Jewish identity as pertaining to nationality in the ideological meaning of the term, and the just as obvious failure or neglect to construct a positive meaning of a secular, as in not related to what Zionist ideology would see as religion, Jewish identity. Instead, Zionism and the Israeli polity have shifted the discourse from a Jewish state to a Jews state, or the Jews state. From asking what makes someone or something Jewish to constructing a polity based on a majority of Jews. The need to pass the bill, the initiative that propelled the debate from the very beginning, has nothing meaningful, I would argue, to do with the challenge to positively define or identify the meaning of the Jewishness of Israel or of Jewish politics. Indeed, it does a manifestly muddled work in trying to assert Israel's claim to Jewish identity. As my discussion of the, of the law, I hope, shows, the law seems to handle these matters rather offhandedly, leaving them mostly too abstract to be meaningful. Instead, the bill has been motivated by the sense that the Zionist taken-for-granted understanding of Jewish nation-statehood had been put in question, primarily due to its inconsistency with basic democratic principles of equality. This, then, is, among other things, also a story of an attempt to overcome the narrow reading of Israel's Jewishness as pertaining primarily to demography and to the preference of a majority of Jews over a minority of Palestinian Arab non-Jews. But this attempt was motivated precisely by the need to preserve this configuration of power and not necessarily by a wish to finally resolve Zionism's confused understanding of its own relation to Jewish tradition. In other words, this is a discussion that some of its primary spokespeople never attempted or wanted to have. It was forced on them by their wish to preserve the political Zionist configuration of power and understanding of Jewish nationhood. In this, the crippled debate that has ensued echoed a fundamental trait of the political Zionist ideology, which, confronted with the dilemma of its own Jewish identity, preferred to forego the discussion and focus instead on establishing a configuration of power in which Jews hold sovereignty. Thank you.